Florida Basketball Podcast. This is Jonathan alongside here, Sean, and we, we've got a wild weekend of college basketball. Uh, the round of 32 did not disappoint. The Peacocks just became the third team ever as a 15 seed to make it to uh, the Sweet 16. So, yeah, incredible weekend of uh, college basketball, and uh, we're here to break it all down. Yeah, it was a crazy week. I mean, certainly unexpected with a lot of their results. Like, we're guaranteed to have a double-digit seed playing in the Elite Eight. Like, I don't I don't know that I saw that necessarily happening this year. Certainly didn't expect Iowa State to be one of the teams in the running for that. But, hey, you know, it is what it is. It's March, and Iowa State has found their stride. Gabe Kalsher getting buckets, and uh, they haven't allowed more than 55 points so far. Yeah, I mean, it's all, it's all about matchups for everything, so – that's kind of the issue. Uh, one matchup that was, I think, the most surprising one, St. Peter's goes up against Murray State. I think we're, we both said it would be a Murray State kind of runaway type of win, and we were both wrong on that one. Uh, and, yeah, that St. Peter's pulls off the upset. Uh, they are going to the uh, Sweet 16, becoming just the third team as a 15 seed to ever make it uh, to the Sweet 16, joining – Oral Roberts, of course, of last year, and then Florida Gulf Coast. So uh, the Peacocks, they pulled off the upset, and, you know, they kind of won a tough, gritty game. Uh, but, yeah, great defense, and they are in the Sweet 16. Yeah, that's exactly how St. Peter's wants to win games, though. They want to play that tough, gritty defense, and they didn't shoot the ball well, but they got to the foul line a lot. They did a really good job getting the Murray State big men in, in foul trouble. Outside of K.J. Williams, he was even in, in a bit of foul trouble, but Jordan Skipper-Brown fouled out. You had Nick McMullen, who only played four minutes. He had three fouls in those four minutes. And then you had D.J. Burns, who picked up three fouls in 27 minutes, uh, or in four fouls in 17 minutes. So <clears throat> Murray State got in a lot of foul trouble early, and uh, Casey Nadefo played great, 17 points, seven for nine from the foul line, six blocks. He did a great job in that one. He'll have his hands full with Zach Eady. Uh, that won't be as easy of a matchup, but it's impressive for St. Peter's to be able to get where they've gotten. Yeah, certainly. And to win a game, like the upset with Kentucky was like kind of surprising because like St. Peter's, the offense wasn't necessarily there and they're, they all season. And then they have like the offensive output of the season. This game, I think, was much more of what St. Peter's tries to do. They tried to, you know, tough this game out. They're, you know, very physical inside with K.J. Williams. Didn't allow him to really have a good game. Felt like the only player that really kind of got it going a little bit with Juice Hill. But, yeah, Tevin Brown struggled. He, he, like, I think they the physicality wore on him so much that uh, he was even missing some free throws, which he's like a 80% shooter or something like that from the free throw line. So, I think St. Peter's certainly matched and overmatched the toughness of Murray State, and I think that's a big reason they end up winning. And uh, credit to them for kind of overmatching the toughness and uh, finding a way to get this win because you know we we doubted them coming into this game. I think everyone doubted them, of course, going against Kentucky. And for them, of those four teams, you're probably like, all right, well, Kentucky's probably moving on, but maybe. San Francisco can get hot and win. Maybe Murray State can get hot and beat Kentucky. And for St. Peter's to get hot and beat Kentucky, and then two days later back that up against a 31-2 and Murray State team. They were 31-2 and entering this game. For them to Eight-point favorites, up, too. Like, they were legit, like, heavily yeah. favored to win. Yeah, heavily favored to win. And for them to back that up and uh, win that game, I mean, that's just all the credits in the world. Uh, Shaheem Holloway uh, – Casey Nadefu, you mentioned he played a really good game. Uh, yeah, and Doug Doug Eddard is becoming a March superstar. So uh, this is what's great about the NCAA tournament. You get random storylines you don't even expect. No one expected the Peacocks to really even contend with Kentucky, and now they're in the Sweet 16. Yeah, I mean, they've had their hands full with tough matchups. They beat the two teams from the state of Kentucky that made the tournament, so that's impressive in its own right. And then you have your hands full again with a really good Purdue team who seems to be finding their stride at the right time. Yeah, certainly. And I, I was thinking we'll just go kind of region by region. Uh, we'll stay in the East region here where North Carolina took down uh, the number one seed, uh, Baylor Bears, the defending national champions. 
they're out of the NCAA tournament. And North Carolina certainly got off to an incredible start in this game. Uh, certainly kind of controversy. Bray Manic, I mean, I don't think he should have been ejected. I also don't think North Carolina should have blown a 25-point lead upon him getting ejected, but credit to Baylor for fighting back. But in the end, North Carolina, they're moving on to Sweet 16. It wasn't easy, that's for sure, but they were able to figure it out. And I don't put a ton of stock into them being like potentially blowing leads late in games because how many games are they not going to have Caleb Love and Brady Manick in the final minutes of? Probably not many. Like that's what I would say there. But R.J. Davis had 30 points and six assists. Like he looked really good, and I think he's a real future of that program. He, He was very impressive in this one. He's been very impressive down the stretch of this year. Baycott had an okay game. It wasn't his best game. He went four for 10 from the field, struggled from the foul line, got in foul trouble. But then you got 26 from Brady Manick, and he didn't play the final 10 minutes of the game. He's been a big-time difference maker, but Caleb Love turned the ball over six times. If North Carolina is going to get where they want to be, which is the final four uh, where they could potentially meet Duke, potentially, would be getting more out of Caleb Love, that's for sure. Because he fouled out here, but he wasn't playing well. Six turnovers and five points. They need more from him because he's an NBA-level talent, but he hasn't shown that consistently at all throughout his career. Yeah, certainly. And, uh, yeah, R.J. Davis was the clear best player. I mean, on this game, I think officiating became the – if not the biggest import or storyline coming out of it. I mean, for one, the flagrant two there, like, he he elbowed – Sohan in the face that should have been a flagrant one I don't think it warranted an, an ejection did you you know that's tough uh obviously it didn't really seem on purpose obviously I think it's definitely a flagrant yeah and it's up for interpretation between different refs I guess whether it's a flagrant one or flagrant two uh, I, I don't know it's tough I don't think like it's that crazy that it was a flagrant two I wasn't really surprised honestly like yeah. when I saw it and saw the elbow go up. I'm like, that's probably going to be a flagrant do. Yeah. But anyway, it ends up being a flagrant too. I mean, credit to Baylor for getting back in the game. And look, North Carolina certainly let them back in the game. They, you know, turned the ball over like crazy, but Baylor also had to convert. And uh, James Akinjo was showing up big. Um, Flagler had good performance. Uh, Sohan was just kind of in every single play on the, you know, both ends in this one, Baylor ends up forcing overtime when, I mean, you're down 25. You're probably at this point thinking, all right, season's over. Uh, Where do we go from here? Baylor was not thinking that. They were thinking, how do we get back in this game? How do we, you know, potentially force overtime, which they did. And uh, credit to Baylor for getting back in this game, but ultimately uh, not to be in, uh, they will be, out of the NCAA tournament, uh, the national champions we've seen in kind of past years where the reigning national champions end up losing early, like Virginia, who's kind of the reigning champion going in last year, they lost in the first round. Uh, we saw Villanova lose in the second round. We saw uh, North Carolina lost in the second round, Villanova again in the second round. So we've seen like in the past national champions, they end up, you know, they get these high seeds. They end up getting upset a little bit early. And this is once again, the case here. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to win back-to-back national championships. That's why it hasn't been done in so long. And you look at the last team that did it was that really good Florida team in the mid two thousands, but you look at who, who they had on that roster. They had several guys who would have been first round picks probably had they left the year after their title with Joe Kim Noah and Al Horford. If they, if those guys didn't, Go If those guys went pro, they probably wouldn't have won another title. And you look at what Baylor lost, they lost their entire starting lineup. So it's not surprising that it's taken this long for another team to go and repeat. And I don't think it'll happen for a while because most of these teams that win a title, most of their team will go pro after the year because that's how you have to win titles. You have to have pro-level talent to be able to win these titles. Yeah. And like certainly after they go pro, I mean, it – what Scott Drew did this year was very impressive. Uh, you know, just turning over the roster and find a way to get a number one seed, win a share of the Big 12 regular season talent. Credit to them. But yeah, ultimately, I think injuries and, you know, just kind of tournament luck in general. Like 
even if this Baylor team is fully healthy, I don't know if they win the national championship, but that, I mean, they certainly would have had a better shot of it, but I guess we'll, we'll never know. And uh, look, they'll still be right in the mix probably next year, uh, probably returning quite a few pieces. I think Kendall Brown's probably gone, but they, they were, they'll probably be able to return a good portion of this roster and uh, be back in uh, the national championship mix because I mean, they're going to bring LJ Cryer, Shamala Chachua, uh, Langston Love. Keontae uh, so. George coming in. Oh, yeah, and Keontae George. So they'll they'll be right back in the mix next year. Maybe the preseason yeah. number one team or something like that. And I would assume they'll probably be pretty active in the portal based on who they could potentially lose. So I think they'll have open scholarship spots. Like uh, if Meyer doesn't come back, if Kenjo doesn't come back, that'll be two scholarship spots. And so they'll, they'll have room to work and probably add different guys if they want to. Yeah. So Baylor will still be in good shape and uh, North Carolina, they're going on to play UCLA who took down St. Mary's. We both picked St. Mary's here and we're wrong again on this one, but uh, yeah, a good, good performance uh, from Tiger Campbell. Jaime Hawkes was having a good showing then got injured. Uh, we'll see his kind of status for this upcoming game against North Carolina. But uh, Johnny Juzang, starting in the second half, kind of def- started to find his NCAA tournament rhythm back. And uh, UCLA, they are moving on. The way they beat St. Mary's was pretty impressive because this is a really good St. Mary's team. And UCLA was able to score 1.29 points per possession. That doesn't happen against the St. Mary's team very often. Like you might look and say, oh, they scored 72. But the way St. Mary's plays to score 72 points on them is pretty impressive. St. Mary's didn't shoot the ball well, but UCLA really thrived getting the ball to the basket and hitting those mid-range shots. They know they're not an elite three-point shooting team. They didn't take a lot of them. That was kind of something that St. Mary's took away from them. Uh, Jules Bernard, though, he made some timely three-pointers, and that's a guy they really needed to get going because he has not had a great year. They need him to get back to what he was during last year's tournament. He was great in this one. And then Tiger Campbell continued to show why he's that kind of guy that can boost them from maybe like Sweet 16 Elite 18 to being in the national title game because he's that difference maker at the point guard spot. And I, I think he really boosts their level of play. Yeah, certainly. And he had another good performance here, but yeah, for St. Mary's, it's just kind of like one of these situations, like it's similar is to like Virginia. Like if this team gets, if they're up, they're one of the toughest teams to come back against because they're going to slow the tempo. Like we even saw it when they played Gonzaga, you know, I mean, all three times, but especially in the game, they end up winning. Gonzaga was trying to make a comeback, but in the end, there goes 30 seconds off the clock and St. Mary's gets a good look. It's just, you know, kind of a methodical way of, you know, playing offense, but it's also a way of playing offense that, you know, if they get down, which UCLA got up early and I was able to kind of take control, if they get down, it's also, you know, hard for them to come back because it's hard to, for them to kind of speed up. And we saw that with St. Mary's in this game, uh, you know, we'll see what they do kind of in the future, but uh, yeah, that's kind of the hard part. If you play kind of a slower tempo, like St. Mary's does. And looking at the outlook of St. Mary's next year, it's a tough team to figure out, right? Because we're looking at it. Tommy Cousy's gone. He doesn't have any more eligibility. Matthias Toss, he could come back, but he's a senior. Same goes for Logan Johnson. So several, that could be three of their best, their three best players could be gone theoretically. So that it'll be interesting to see what Randy Bennett's able to put together next year because you got Augustus Marshallonis who looks like probably the future of that point guard spot, even though he didn't play well this year. You have Mitchell Saxon, who showed some good play at, at times this year. Uh, and then you, you should get Kyle Bowen and Alex Duke is back. But it'll be inter- interesting seeing what St. Mary's looks like. But Randy Bennett always seems to put something together, even when it looks like it might not be that good on paper. Yeah, certainly. Uh, and then the last game of this kind of uh, East region, Purdue ends up beating uh, Texas 81 to 71. Uh, you know, really good performance from Jay Nivey. He hit some clutch buckets down the stretch to kind of end up helping Purdue pull away with this one. Uh, Marcus Carr had a good game. Uh, Andrew Jones, I mean, you got what you expect out. If you're going to pull off the upset, if you're Texas, you need Carr, you need Andrew Jones to step up. But 
at the end of the day, Purdue just kind of, you know, slowly, you know, it never felt like Texas had that, you know, type of lead and Purdue certainly had a good 20 to nothing run in the first half. It was kind of impressive. Texas was able to make a game at halftime despite that, but in the end, Purdue just a little too much offensive firepower. They end up winning. Texas made this game close. I mean, that 20 to two run, I thought this game would never be close after that, but Texas made it close. I mean, the Jace Fabers four point play, the Marcus Carr step back three, but there was definitely, I, I hate to be like complaining about the refs. And I don't, I think Purdue might have won anyways, but, and part of it's due to how Texas plays. They're going to play physical defense, but yeah. 46 to 12 in the free throw difference, that's insane. Like, that's a lot of free throws. Yeah. And I mean, Purdue made their free throws, which is also a big thing. But yeah, I mean, we, we've, I think a big storyline coming out of it is I think there needs to be, you know, some sort of improvement in officiating. And we'll, we'll see. Like, hopefully it doesn't become a storyline once we get to the Sweet 16, once we get to the Elite Eight. Like, and usually those are where the best officials, but I mean, what there's, there's other, just kind of atrocious calls that were made this weekend. I mean, we'll eventually dive into it, but yeah, it's, I think the officiating, if this is kind of the overarching storyline of the weekend, the officiating has to be part of it because there there were plenty of games, you know, there was a couple games you could even argue got decided by uh, fishing. So, uh, you know, that's going to be hopefully something, not a storyline that we hope continues, but uh, Storyline, nonetheless, uh, as we move over to the West region uh, where Duke, they end up surviving and advancing. Mm-hmm. They didn't defend all that great against uh, Michigan State, kind of let Michigan State hang around. They end up, you know, they're down 70 to 65, and then Duke just kind of flips the switch, turns turns it on, hits a couple big threes. Jeremy Roach had big three, and uh, Duke is advancing. Duke, they they didn't play great, I guess, during this game, but they were able to find shots when they needed it. Like Jeremy Roach, I don't think that's a guy you really expect to go get a big bucket, but uh, that's what he did in this one. He made a big-time three at 15 points. Paulo Pancaro played pretty solid. A.J. Griffin got hurt, and he didn't play great. Mark Williams was pretty good down low. Uh, he, he, I mean, down the stretch, you look at the shot that Mark Williams blocked, and then the shot that Paulo Bancaro altered, like that shows why Duke is what they are because they have two guys that can go protect the rim like that. That's your four and your five. And those are guys that can make shots really tough inside. And that was Michigan State trying to get easy two points, but it wasn't going to work against Duke's front line. So that was a pretty impressive move. And you can see how why this Duke team is what they are. But they had six guys in double figure points. Like this is a deep scoring team. Obviously, they're going to have to improve defensively if they're going to want to win. But facing a team like Texas Tech, who had a lot of problems scoring against a pretty subpar Notre Dame defense, uh, they might not need to have elite defense to stop Texas Tech's offense because their offense is not very good. Yeah, certainly. And uh, that's going to be, I think, one of the matchups of uh, this weekend. Uh, or Yeah, the Sweet 16. I think it's probably the best matchup of that. But yeah, and terms of Duke, I mean, it, certainly impressive resolve from them uh, that kind of be at that point where you're like, all right, is Duke really going to lose this game here? And is this, you know, the last game of Coach K? And for them, you know, to be facing that diversity and for them to kind of step forward, we've seen them, you know, kind of the past couple weeks when they played North Carolina, they were down in that game. And it was kind of like a similar question. Are they really going to lose here in Coach K's final game? And they kind of you know, let North Carolina keep having it offensively. And then kind of same thing against Virginia Tech in the ACC championship game. So for them, I think, you know, taking those two losses and kind of flipping that uh, into a win against the Michigan State team that, I mean, this Michigan State team, certainly they played a fantastic game. They're not an overwhelming uh, basketball team, but they played a really good game to be in this one. I mean, Gabe Brown had a good game. Marcus Bingham had a good game. Uh, but yeah, for them to kind of show that resolve, that's impressive. We'll see, you know, they play Texas Tech. We'll get into kind of that matchup a little bit later. Uh, they might 
they're probably going to get Gonzaga if they go to the Elite Eight. So a couple tough games upcoming for Duke if they want to get to the Final Four and obviously win a national championship. But uh, you, you got to get at least two of those games first and for them to do that when trailing uh, late in the game. Uh, certainly impressive from them. Gonzaga, they were trailing big at halftime. The the concern meter was starting to get there, and Drew Timmy said, we're not going to effing lose. They go on a big run and uh, kind of tie the game to take the lead in the second half, and uh, Gonzaga, they are on to another Sweet 16, seventh straight year. I mean, they're the most consistent program in college basketball. And I think we're seeing that. Like you see, like I could tweet something about Gonzaga and random fans will be like, uh, they choke every year, but they don't. That, that's the thing. It's getting to seven straight sweet 16s, only one team in the country has done that, and that's Gonzaga. So they've had more postseason success over the last seven tournaments than any other team, essentially. They just haven't won it all. They've been to two title games, haven't won it all. And they certainly can win it all. And I think here that they face a team with more athleticism probably and more physicality than any team in the tournament so they got that test uh, with the physicality and and the strength and they were able to do just fine drew timmy was not stopped by it at all chet holmgren while he may not have had a great offensive game he didn't let jalen duran get whatever he wanted on him he 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 outplayed jalen duran there's no question about that and even though he got driven to the basket a few times his quick react reaction ability and uh, his ability to recover and block shots made him win that matchup. So I'm not at all concerned about Gonzaga. Yeah, certainly. I think this is like a tough eight, nine matchup and look, Memphis played the perfect first half of basketball and uh, deserves credit here for kind of the turnaround they had this season where they, you know, for a lot of the season, they looked like they were maybe going to miss the NCAA tournament for, Pay Hardaway to have this team as a nine seed, you know, right there leading the number one overall seed. That is an impressive job by him. But in the end, at the end, I mean, Drew Timmy, when, you know, he was leaving it all on the court, like he was not going to let Gonzaga lose this game. It kind of got, got the feeling of that. Andrew Nemhard certainly stepped up, made a couple big threes. I mean, he went five of 10 from three in this game. Uh, he, every time it felt like Memphis kind of like, all right, if they get a stop here, then, you know, they can go and score on the other end and tie the game up. It felt like every time that was the case, Andrew Nimhard just drilled a dagger through mm-hmm. right to them. And that that's what he does. That's why he's an elite guard. Uh, Razier Bolton had a good performance. And, yeah, even if Chet Holmgren didn't necessarily provide the offense, he was certainly good defensively. And uh, Gonzaga, they're, they're moving on once again. And, uh you know, the consistency Mark Few has this program executing at, at is, you know, at the highest of level and uh, they're moving on to another sweet 16 and probably, you know, a good chance to end up cutting down uh, their first national championship, uh, cutting down the nets there. So impressive performance. But there. One, one thing about Gonzaga though, is I've the one question I've had is their shooting. You got Rozier Bolton, you've got Julian Strother who's been up and down, but Andrew Nemhard is 11 for his last 20 in his last three games from three. That's not something he's ever been known for. He's never been a three point shooter. He's always been 33% or below in his first three seasons of college. He's close to 40% right now because of how hot he's been. If that continues, I don't know how you stop Gonzaga because you can go under a ball screen on Andrew Nemhard and he's just going to hit the three right now. So yeah. it, you can't go under under a ball screen against him right now. And, and he was one of the guys you can kind of let shoot the basketball, but now you can't because he's really improved that part of his game. Yeah. Like I still think like the the methodology to being Gonzaga, obviously you got I think you have to stop Timmy inside. And then you almost like kind of need Gonzaga to miss some open shots uh, from the perimeter, which they have not yet, but yeah, I mean, if Nimhard's, you know, shooting 50% from three and Razier Bolton is like a 40% three-point shooter, Julian Strother's kind of the same thing, thing. That's what makes this team so tough to guard is, like, your kind of strategy to beating Gonzaga is relying on good three-point shooters to miss uh, three-point shots. And certainly, I mean, that's a recipe that 
could end up working. Like if, you know, they play Duke and they go three of, you know, 30% from three in the game when they're usually shooting 40%, they could end up losing. They could end up losing. And that's what kind of makes college basketball unique. The best team doesn't always win. Uh, but certainly I think it's that's what makes play, playing Gonzaga so tough is that you almost have to rely on their jump shooters missing jump shots to win. Yeah, and you, you almost have to force them to take those jump shots. And if they beat you that way, then you take it because if you're letting them go coast to coast every possession and get a clean layup, all five guys on the floor can handle the ball 94 feet. So I Gonzaga would take that all day. But if you you want to make them beat you in a half-court setting and if that ends up being they just pour threes on you, I think you take that. Yeah. It's not the most fun way to lose, but it's it's the way that gives you a shot to win, I think. Uh Speaking of shots to win, I mean, Texas Tech has a shot to beat Duke in Coach K's career, but uh, that's going to be a fun matchup. But first, they really struggled against Notre Dame. They didn't get it going offensively, uh, but they they found a way to survive in advance, and that's what this NCAA tournament's all about. Uh, Really not an impressive performance from Texas Tech. Kevin O'Banner ends up leading them in scoring Bryson Williams. Had the kind of big, bigger, I think he made a couple free throws late in the game to put Texas Tech in front. Not a good offensive game by the Red Raiders, but defensively felt like every time they needed a stop, they end up getting a stop. And uh, that's that's it. That ends up how they advance in March. If Texas Tech was facing a team that was better than Notre Dame, I think they would have lost here. Uh, but Notre Dame, there's, they've certainly – they're not a great team. I mean, they're an okay team, but Texas Tech was going to force them to take threes because that's what they – that was what the game plan was showing clearly, that they wanted to make Notre Dame shoot the basketball instead of drive to the basket, maybe get some nice uh, clean twos. But that's part of what Texas Tech does with, with that uh, defense. They're going to force you to take a lot of threes because you're not going to get anything in the middle of that defense because they play a no-middle defense. So – uh, they were able to shoot threes. They went nine for 28. It wasn't great. But when it came down to it, Texas Tech was able to make those extra effort hustle plays, and that's really what won them the game. But TJ Shannon wasn't even on the court late in the game. He played 18 minutes, three points. They need more from TJ Shannon. They need him on the court if they're going to beat Duke. Like, I don't – if TJ Shannon scores less than 10 points, I don't think they beat Duke. They need yeah. more from him to be able to beat a team like Duke. Yeah. Now, in this game, like I will say, like the team I thought was much or better when Shannon was off the court. But I mean, if you're going to go out and beat Duke, you need your, you know, best NBA prospect, your most talented player, certainly, to go out and perform at a high level. Uh, but yeah, I mean, O'Banner and Williams both had decent games. I thought Santo Silva kind of. He had the play of the game because uh, I think Wesley's driving to the basket. Mm-hmm. Santo Silva blocks him. Then, you know, you mentioned it on Twitter. Like, he's shooting I mean, left I was, hand, he's shooting right yeah, hand, I was he's shooting underhand. Stunned. Like, he's shooting all the this time. And uh, in a one-on-one situation, too, he drills the first one. Like, that. that's a – if you're a Texas Tech fan, you're like, all right, just make the first one. You don't care about making the second one. He makes both free throws. And that was impressive. And they end up getting another stop and pulling off the win. I mean, I was just stunned when I saw him take the first free throw right-handed. I'm like, this is a guy I've watched for five years. I've never seen him take a free throw right-handed. So I was like, have I missed something? I'm like, I've watched this guy for several years at this point. But no, he he used to be a left-handed shooter. I guess he changed it at some point this year. And he made both right-handed. So that's pretty impressive. But uh, the bigger concern for me is their last field goal came, let's see here, it came with seven minutes left in the game. So you you can look at that in a, besides the McCuller dunk. So besides that one, like their last field goal that meant something came with seven minutes left in the game. So you can look at that two different ways. One way being a positive that they were able to win a game where they just can't score from the field, or you can look at it the way I'm looking at it and being like, if that happens again, their time in the NCAA tournament will not be very long. 
And that's kind of what I thought this whole time. I don't think they're a national title contender. I don't think they're a Final Four team because you can't go on seven-minute field goalless droughts and expect to win games in the tournament. You just can't, no matter how good your defense is. Yeah. Like, their their defense is – I mean, it's number one in the sport for a reason. But, I mean, if they're going to win a national championship, they're going to – or even, like, if they're going to beat Duke, they need a good offensive performance. And, look, like, there's certainly – I think they have the pieces, like, in place to, like, if the – you know, Kevin O'Banner gets hot from three. If Bryson Williams is cooking down low, like if Terrence Chan gets hot, like I think they have the pieces to like, if you told me they get hot these next two games, I could see them make a final four, but we've just kind of seen the inconsistency with this team that makes it hard for you to pick them to necessarily end up, um, you know, winning a national championship. And look, they could very well, I think, end up advancing they could also very well lose by 20 to do like anything is on the table here. Yeah, no question. I, I just have so many questions about this team. Yeah. And Arkansas, they're the last team to advance. I mean, not a pretty game, but yeah, win is a win. A win is a win. Uh, they did a really good job. Like Adi's Tony did a great job defending Teddy Allen uh, and then they were just putting different, like two bodies on Teddy Allen. They weren't going to let Teddy Allen beat them. And that was clearly their game plan. And it worked out. I mean, Teddy Allen made some good plays for his teammates. They just weren't able to hit those shots. And, you know, if they, I think Teddy had to find a way to get something going, even though he had two guys on him, maybe drive to the basket, try to get fouled, try to do something. But they just weren't able to score the basketball consistently enough. And against a team like Arkansas, that's playing right into their hands. Yeah. And they, they certainly, like, Arkansas struggled. I mean, if they struggle like they did in this one, Gonzaga's going to boat race them. So, I mean, they're going to have to get a much better offensive performance even to have a chance against Gonzaga. But uh, for them to kind of win a tough game, two kind of, like, gritty games because the Vermont game, they didn't necessarily play their best basketball, especially defensively, but found a way to win that one. And that's what the NCAA tournament's all about. It's, you know, sometimes you're not going to have your best game, uh, but for a team to still advance when you're not necessarily playing your best, I mean, that's that's always important. And uh, we'll see them. They play Gonzaga on Thursday. That's going to be a tough matchup, but, hey, anything can happen in March, uh, and Arkansas can certainly win, as can Houston. Uh, who I have to give a formal apology to. Yeah, we need the formal apology now, right now. Like- to apologize to Kelvin Sampson in the mm-hmm. Houston Cougars. I did yep. not think you could beat a pr- top five projected seed. We'd not Hold on. If my, if my mind serves serves correctly here, you said you would even take Illinois giving five. I took the money line. You said, you said though, if the spread was opposite, you would take it. Oh, yes. So okay. I doubted it, you. I doubted yep. uh, the Houston Cougars, but... They, they went out and played a good basketball game. They won the, playing their style of game. And now they're on to the Sweet 16. Most impressive win in the NCAA tournament we've seen uh, in quite a while. And now they're on to the Sweet 16. They're a tough team to game plan against. And I want to apologize to Kelvin Sampson. I doubted him. I want to apologize to the Houston Cougars program. But you still got players on it. So, there okay, you, you you could have just let that last part out, but uh, you know when you get twenty one from Tajay Moore, you get eighteen from Jamal Shedd, you get fifteen from Kyler Edwards. With the defense Houston plays, you're not beating them. And Illinois, this game was just it was a fifteen point final. It was probably a little closer than that, but even when it was like a five point game, you always felt like Houston was in control. They never felt panicked. And Tajay Moore is a guy who's never been a big time scorer, but he made big plays when he had to, and he did it his way. He doesn't, he's not a three point shooter, but he's crazy athletic. And he was able to make plays using his great athleticism uh, to be able to get 21 points. Yeah, certainly. And uh, Houston, I mean, they, they just kind of like were the tougher team in this one. It felt like, like Fabian White made a, that huge play, the kind of like diving out of bounds, just throw, tips the ball to, I forget who it was, ends up being a 
uh, slam dunk. But yeah, I mean, this, this Houston team, one playing their style of game, they slowed down Coburn inside. He had one of his, you know, more inefficient games. Uh, he still got to the foul line. He still got 19, but he wasn't necessarily great. Uh, Trent Frazier didn't necessarily step up in this one. We've liked a little more from him and uh, Plummer. Didn't see Crabello. Crabello was not, like, he was not very good in this game. So I I don't mind. No, him. I mean, he played Pitching. 10 minutes. He didn't play in the second half. I don't think he deserved to play in the second half either. So, like, Luke Goody and Devon A. Williams and uh, R.J. Melendez, I think were clear better options. But, yeah, and then, in, like, Houston – just kind of out tough to Illinois and they end up with the win here. Yeah, they did. I mean, it was, you know, Houston's kind of game and that's why they were able to win. But uh, the next game, right. I mean, that was probably the game of the tournament. Yes. I would say like probably the most controversial game. Cause I mean, what you, you, I think are on the same page. That was a foul, right? Yeah, it was, it was clearly a foul. I don't know how you missed that in that situation. Yeah. But at the same time, like, it was clearly a foul, but good call on the floor to call Dale and Terry's dunk late. Because uh, in live, I thought that was good. I thought that was game. But it, they called it on the floor that it wasn't good, and it wasn't good. So uh, good on the rest on that side. Yeah, I, I'm not going to get – here's the thing, like, the – so there was, like, a video breaking down, and, like, both refs are, like, way out of position. So, like, they're not even able to, like, end up making the call. That's just – that that's bad officiating, and we've seen it a uh, few times in this tournament. But, yeah, I mean, sometimes the officials go your way. Arizona certainly, I think, caught a break with that not being a foul uh, because I, I guess they, they still could have probably had a heroic play in Miles. I mean, you still got to make your free throws, so – it's not a done deal, but I mean, if Miles is going to the line, you're, you're certainly at that point thinking, all right, TCU's going to end up winning this one. And look, TCU played a fantastic game. I, I thought this game would be a little bit closer than what the spread was leaving on. I mean, the physicality they were able to kind of bring to the game uh, was certainly there. I thought Arizona would maybe pull away a little bit, but uh, ultimately TCU was just kind of right there f- for the entire game. Eddie Lampkin. I, I found the fun, funniest thing is like Christian Coloco, probably like defensive player of the year. And like, he like bullies him inside and scores a basket and then does the, like the two little celebration. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was like, it was comedic to watch. Yeah. It was a great game. I mean, Benedict Matherin made big shots when it mattered. He had 30 points. He had that big time dunk and obviously the game tie in three. Uh, but this was a tough game because TCU is such a tough defensive team. They were able to really out-rebound Arizona, though. They got 20 offensive rebounds. Arizona can't let that happen against Houston, or they're probably done. Like, yeah. Houston's going to out-rebound you. There's no question about that. The question is, by how much will they out-rebound you? Yeah. Like, TCU, I think I think in a way, it almost kind of helps Arizona to get this matchup against, like, the same – team as Houston essentially like a team that's going to like try to out rebound you out tough you out physical you like I think in a way that kind of helps Arizona because you know you just face a kind of similar level of team but yeah I mean certainly the offensive rebounding was uh, a concern for Arizona I mean Kirk Creaso was unplayable in this game right like he wasn't good no no like I don't, I don't know why he was on the court. Like it, I think like late in the game, like he checks in for Umar Balo because they were kind of like playing that, you know, five, five bigger guys with like Tubelas at the three, Matherin at the two and Terry at the point. I thought that lineup was doing all right. I mean, they got the lead, but yeah, Kreisa, he had not like, I know he's come off an injury. He did not have it in this game. No, he didn't, but he was able to play 27 minutes, but they're going to need more from him. Obviously, yeah. going one for 10 isn't providing much. Yeah, and maybe it's Pelle Larson. He was all right on the game, like Justin Kyer. I think they have the pieces to not necessarily need Creasa to step up, but uh, certainly I think 
if they're playing Houston and he's going one for 10 from three, I, I think they, there needs to be a point where maybe Tommy Lloyd just takes them out of the game altogether, but uh, they end up winning the, you know, spite some bad shooting from him. Uh, mostly, I mean, you mentioned Matherin. He hit the big game tying three. He hit the big kind of in one in overtime. He's a star and uh, we've seen it time and time again this year. Yeah, he's just ridiculously good. Yeah, I, no question about that. Yeah. And then Michigan, they pull off the upset. They beat Tennessee uh, 76 68. Uh, really good performance from Hunter Dickinson, who uh, I thought they, Jawan Howard really did a good job using him kind of in that high post. He was, you know, he was either going to sc- try to score in the paint or uh, he's going to dish it to Eli Brooks, who made a couple, you know, nice layups there. And uh, Michigan, they get a good offensive performance. Tissy missed a lot of, you know, makeable shots that I think if they make a couple of those, the game goes the other way, but that's what makes March, uh, you know, great. You don't necessarily, you know, get those shots to fall and uh, you get the upset here. Yeah. I mean, just, just that's what March is all about, right? Just the upsets, the hidden shots. You got to hit those shots to win. Yeah. And Tennessee did not like Zakai Ziegler. I think they had, he had like two wide open threes and you can't yeah, make one part, of those. Part of it is it just seemed like anytime Michigan needed a basket, they got a basket. Like yeah. they, they were the ones who made the big shots. Hunter Dickinson played well. Uh Caleb Houston, I don't know if he scored. Did he? I don't think so. He did not. He did not. He 32 minutes and had three rebounds. So he didn't do very much. Uh, but Terrence Williams played well off the bench. I think Terrence Williams needs more minutes is what I think. Like if Caleb Houston keeps playing the way he played in this one, Terrence Williams should be playing over him. Yeah. I, but Eli I Brooks, Eli Brooks was so clutch in this one. Yeah. Like he, he had a couple big shots. He had the, like, uh, the like floater, uh, sh- shot, like the cream type shot at the point guard spot. Like he had that working but i mean tennessee they were up 60 to 54 you kind of felt felt a little bit in that at that point like all right tennessee starting to like establish themselves as the kind of better team and uh with eight minutes left they score eight points the final eight minutes that's not that's not how you win games in march and uh michigan certainly i think picked up a little bit defensively i think once they took diabate off the court and kind of went with that because they, they were going with Williams at the four with uh, Houston, uh, Frankie Collins, and Eli Brooks. I kind of like that lineup that they were putting in the game. Williams had like a big putback uh, to end up tying the game. And uh, yeah, for Michigan to walk away with the win after kind of a you know rocky season, they end up kind of mm-hmm. sneaking just into the NCAA tournament. Just, I think they were last team not included in the first four. For them yep. now to you know, have a kind of that, you know, rough season and still make it a sweet 16. I think that's five straight NCAA tournaments they've made to the sweet 16. So, I mean, the consistency Michigan is executing at from a program is certainly at a very high level and uh, yeah, they're going to continue to be uh, tough. So nobody is playing better in this tournament than Hunter Dickinson. I think. Yeah. He's been fantastic. And I think the usage of him, like more so as like a passer too, because like we know he can go out and give you 25, but can also give you 25 and, you know, you run offense through him and he finds open shooters or open cutters like that. That's what's made this Michigan offense so dynamic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, he's, you hear about Travion Williams passing, but Hunter Dickinson, he makes some pretty incredible passes. Like, he, he knows how to find guys. I think there was a play late. I don't remember who it was too, but they like initiated the offense through him. It was a great cut. I want to say from Eli Brooks and it like ended a Tennessee run. It was just a nice pass. Uh, and it was just right on the money to Eli Brooks while he was driving. Yeah. He, he's got kind of like the Jokic ability. Cause like he's, he's not great defensively, but like he provides so much offensive value that it's like, 
all right, well, that's how do you match this guy? Because like he's seven foot. Like if you leave him one on one in the post or uh, let him get in the post, he's going to you know post up and score on you. But I mean, he can also you know get in the kind of like free throw line and you either leave him open and he's he's a capable of knocking down a shot. I think he had a couple threes in this tournament and uh yeah i mean he's he's such a tough guard at this point he is and i mean there he's he can you can defend him too and he's gonna make some tough shots yeah that's part of what he does like he's really improved his game he had three threes that's not something he even attempted to do last year yeah like he's expanded his game so much and like i don't know if he's like an nba player but i think a team like if he ends up going to the NBA draft this year. A team should like try to take a chance on him because like he he's very skilled. So very, very. Yeah. And Michigan, they will be matching up against Villanova who took down Ohio state. My, my upset pick was wrong there, but uh, yeah, Villanova. I mean, Colin Gillespie, he just kind of like had that vibe to start the game. Like he had a couple threes. He was like, we're, we're not going to lose this game. And look, Ohio State, I think, played a decent enough game. They got the, you know, necessarily contributions from Bram, who had 23. EJ Liddell had 17. But I think outside of those two, they just didn't really have enough, and Villanova is able to advance. Villanova is just so good. It's really incredible. And Eric Dixon, I mean, he hit two threes that were massive in this game. And that's not something when you think about Eric Dixon that he does, but he, he did it in this one. And if he's going to continue doing that and he can get some, get Hunter Dickinson on the perimeter, that's going to be a tough game for Hunter Dickinson on the defensive end. Cause if everybody on the floor for Villanova can hit threes. Yeah. Like if Dixon's knocking down threes, like Slayer's not like the most reliable shooter, but I mean, he can hit him too. Not yeah. great, but he can hit him. Like there's not anybody on the floor for Villanova at any point that can't shoot the basketball. Yeah. And then you can kind of bring like Caleb Daniels off the bench. Like if Slater's not giving you anything, maybe you bring Daniels off the bench and he can score. Like this mm-hmm. Villanova team, like they're not like you're not watching this team and you're like, oh, this offense is so dynamic. But they here's what they do. They they're really tough defensively. They're not going to give up at any easy looks. Uh, they're going to guard their man's really well. And then, uh, you know, certainly offensively, I mean, they have you know the scoring production. Like Gillespie's a good scorer. Jermaine Samuels can uh, certainly have his games. Eric Dixon is uh, now improved. So I mean, they're not like overwhelming talent wise. You're not watching this team and saying, you know necessarily like it is championship level talent but they have championship culture and uh championship will that is kind of you know unmatched they do and once you get into a late game situation with them they're the best free throw shooting team in the country so if you want to get into a free throw shooting contest with them it's probably game because they're not missing many of them yeah so they're a tough team to beat um i still don't know if they can win the national championship but I think they, I think they, they can. they can certainly get there. So anything can happen. Midwest region, speaking of anything that can happen, this region has at the bottom side, especially the top, a little more chalky, but uh, the bottom Miami takes down Auburn, Auburn one point, number one on the polls. Now uh, they're, they're sitting out the rest of the tournament because Miami beats them. Uh, you know, just a really, I think, kind of poor game from Auburn. Like late in the game, they're kind of making a little bit of a push. And like, I think this falls on either coaching or guard play or both. Like there, there were back-to-back possessions where Auburn gets a stop, goes in transition, and it ends up with a Wendell Green pull-up three. Like you mm-hmm. just got, I think you got to like work the ball a little more inside I mean, you have Jabari Smith, you have Walker Kessler kind of on both plays were running transition. And uh, yeah, just not great execution by uh, this Auburn team. And now they're going home to a good Miami team. Neither of them played well, though. That's the thing. Jabari Smith and Walker Kessler both had their worst games of the year. 
Yeah. So you can we could say, you know, it was they had some not great play from guards, and that was certainly an, an issue in this one too. But it wasn't their biggest issue. Their biggest issue is that their two best players didn't play well. And that's not something I thought would hurt Auburn, but it did. And you look at Miami, they only shot the ball three for 15 from three, but Auburn just was not defending the rim at all, which was partly due to Walker Kessler being in foul trouble in the first half, but he didn't play well in this game at all. I mean, Miami's guards were getting whatever they wanted at the basket. Cam Augusti, 20 points, 10 for 13 from two. Isaiah Wong, he played great. And then you look at a guy like... Yeah, you look at a guy like Sam Wardenberg, he had seven points, but those were big seven points. He had a big three during a big momentum-shifting moment. He blocked a couple shots. And then Jordan Miller, he had 12 points. Like, that that was a big 12 points because he got most of them early, uh, but that was able to make the game kind of relaxed, I feel like, for Miami, getting that big lead. And then they lost it, but they were able to get the momentum back in the second half. Yeah, certainly. And uh, look at I don't know if like Miami's good enough to end up making the final four, but I mean, they're certainly going to be a tough team. I think they, they're, they are, I think the favorites to beat Iowa state. So, uh, I mean, we can discuss that game a little later, but, uh, yeah, for Miami to pull off this win, I mean, that is certainly, I think, you know, great upset here. The guard play is certainly, I think a part of this game where you kind of look at it is like, all right, Auburn has the overwhelming advantage in the front court, but Miami's guard play is really good. Like you have Charlie Moore, who's been at basically every place you could go to. Like he's a really solid option at the guard spot. Uh, you have Isaiah Wong and Cam Augustier, who are good scorers. You have uh, Miller, who's a kind of good kind of fourth scorer. You have Wardenberg, who can stretch out and knock down a couple shots. So I think this Miami team just kind of like plays uh, really good together. They're really experienced, and I think they were the kind of more disciplined team in this game, and that that I think was key as they were able to uh, end up winning this game, kind of running away against Auburn. Yeah, I mean, it was impressive, and when you look at who their matchup will be in the next round, it's Iowa State who beat Wisconsin, and Iowa State, they won the game their way. They played great defense, but part of it was just that Wisconsin missed in like 10 open threes, and Johnny Davis didn't play well. So that was a big issue for Wisconsin and Iowa State. I just can't imagine them stopping Miami the way they stopped Wisconsin. I just can't see it. Yeah, I mean, this Iowa State team, it's like they're so tough defensively and that's always going to be like they're going to stay in the game uh, just because they're able to get stops at that end. But I mean, we saw it with this game. Gabe Kalsher had a good performance. Isaiah Brockington didn't necessarily play great. Uh, Tyrese Hunter, I think, was kind of good at the point guard spot. Not necessarily because, like, he went out and scored. Like, he went 1 of 10 from the field, but just kind of, like, uh, stability that he has. But I think the bigger story comes down to, like, Wisconsin, I think, was just kind of, like, a little too injured. Like, Johnny Davis coming into this tournament uh, had injury issues. You certainly have the Chucky Hepburn going out and not able to return in this game. I think that was a big issue because, like, Outside of Hepburn, like, he's not a superstar, but, like, he's a really good role player. And you take out your team's starting point guard, now you're like, all right, is Johnny Davis the point guard? Is Brad Davis in the point guard? Can Jordan Davis or uh, Jacoby Neath run some point for us? It, it was just like they they didn't know necessarily what to do at, during stretches of this game. And uh, certainly the three-point shooting was not great. That They didn't take a lot of great shots either, uh, which – you know, certainly I think help, but uh, yeah, I mean, for Iowa state to advance, I mean, this is kind of what March is all about. It ends up being about matchups and uh, Iowa state got a matchup, you know, two, I think rather favorable matchups for an 11 seed and uh, LSU who was without their coach was not great offensively to begin with. And then obviously Tyrese Hunter just kind of went bananas from three in that one. And now, you end up matching up against a Wisconsin team that uh, has, you know, traditionally been good guard play this season, but you have Johnny Davis uh, injured. You have uh, Chucky Hepburn get injured and yeah, it's certainly all about matchups and the matchups were favorable for Iowa state. Yeah. I think, I think this game's different if Chucky Hepburn doesn't get hurt because that forced them to play uh, Jacoby Neath 
a lot of minutes, and he's just not a guy that's a high-level point guard for Wisconsin. Chucky Hepburn is. So losing your point guard the way they did, I think, really changed the outcome of this game. But at the same time, you know, Iowa State made timely shots. I mean, Gabe Kalser, when they needed a bucket, he went to the mid-range and he found a spot and he made the bucket. So he was able to do that. And Gabe Kalser's in a play like that. Iowa State's going to be a tough out. Yeah, certainly. And uh, they will play Miami. We'll break that game down later. Province, uh, Richmond ends up advancing. They will, uh, they took down Richmond uh, rather handily in this one. Game was never really at a point where I was considering necessarily putting it on uh, the main TV, but yeah, uh, Providence just kind of takes care of business and they're, they're moving on. Yeah. There's not much to say here. Just a great win for Providence. Yeah. And they're back in the sweet 16 where they will face Kansas who got quite a test from Creighton. Creighton uh, certainly got a, got off to kind of the hot start they needed to end up win this game. But in the end, I mean, Remy Martin certainly had a big performance in this one. He had 20, uh, Abaji didn't necessarily, you know, have his rhythm uh, from three, but he made a couple like hustle plays that I think end up winning the game. Uh, had the kind of game wing steal and then uh, took it down to the other end for a wide open dunk. And uh, I think that ended up being the key play in the game. And yeah, Kansas ends up uh, surviving and advancing. Yeah, that's what that's what it's about, surviving and advancing. But you look at what uh what Creighton had to overcome here is a lot of injuries. Yeah, you, you look at Ryan Nemhard, you look at Ryan Kalkbrenner. Those are two of your best players, and they didn't play in this one. And but on the Kansas side, Ryan Martin played great. But you need more from Ochai Abaji. He's ten for twenty eight in the NCAA tournament. Yeah. He can't go ten. He can't go four for fifteen, which is I think. Uh, or five for 14, which is what he was in the first two games, each game. If he goes five for 14 against Providence, they are going to lose, I think. Well, we'll, we'll discuss that, but yeah, if he's, I think they can still get to the final four without like Abaji's best, but they can't win national championship without Abaji, like being the, what he was most the regular season, the first team all American he was. So uh, they're going to need, improved play from Abaji to uh, do cut down nets. So that's all, what it's all about. So uh, yeah. Shall we get into some picks though? Yeah, let's do it. All right. First off, let, let's get our final. F- Actually, let's do our against the spread picks and then we'll get into our revised final fours. Yeah. Okay. It works for me. Yeah. All right. First game, it is 709 Eastern on CBS. It is Arkansas taking on Gonzaga, West Region, Sweet 16. Gonzaga, nine point favor in this one. I think Gonzaga runs away and wins this one handily. Yeah, I think this could be a blowout. Arkansas, if JD Note doesn't drop 25, they don't have enough offense around him to be able to keep the game competitive with Gonzaga. And Jalen Williams might do a good job on Drew Timmy, but they're going to have trouble defending Chet Holmgren. So I'm going to go with Gonzaga to run away. Yeah. I mean, the the thing is like if Jalen Williams gets in foul trouble too, like if, I mean, who else do they have? Like if, are they going to play super small? Or are they going to play Connor Vanover? Like that's a big concern. Mm-hmm. So I like Gonzaga to, I don't, win. I don't know the last time Vanover played. So I don't think it'd be Vanover. Yeah. I mean, whoever it is, like, there's not a great matchup if Jalen Williams gets in foul trouble. Yeah, Vanover hasn't played since January, so. Yeah. Uh, Next matchup, it is Michigan against Villanova, 729 Eastern on TBS. Villanova, five-point favorite in this one. I really like the line here because that's Mm -hmm. kind of my projected final score. I guess I'll take... I'll take Michigan plus the points. Ooh, really? Villanova is going to win this game, but it's going to be a close game. Yeah, I'll take Villanova to give the – I'll take them giving the points. You're, they're going to be able to drag Hunter Dickinson out on the perimeter, and that's going to be a problem with how many threes Villanova takes. They're going to probably make a lot of those threes. Michigan needs more from Caleb Houston, and Devontae Jones plays more from him, more from Frankie Collins. They're going to need everybody to have their best game to be able to beat Villanova. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, I think it's going to be like a good offensive execution. Cause like Dickinson, I think is going to be able to still kind of get his a little bit inside. 
I think Villanova defensively is going to kind of have those back cuts and like the Dickinson passes a little bit better scouted out, but uh, certainly I think it's going to be a good game. Certainly. And the next one, I'm very torn on this result because Texas tech, they're a one point favorite in this one. I think this has game of the sweet 16 type of feeling like you have that really good defensive Texas tech team uh, against uh obviously Duke and all the talent they have. I'm going to go Texas Tech, the small, I mean, I guess they're favored. I'll take Texas Tech minus the point. I do not feel good about it. Yeah, I'm taking Duke. I just don't trust Texas Tech's offense. They're going to need more from Adonis Arms. They're going to need more from TJ Shannon. They played the way they did offensively against Notre Dame in this one. They're going to lose. Yeah. So, I mean, they're going to need a good offensive performance. I'm, I'm rolling with the offense, finding something in this game. I don't feel great about it, but that's where I'm at. Next game here, Houston against Arizona. Arizona one and a half point favorite here. I, I just kind of think like at a certain point, Houston, Houston's as gritty and tough as any team in the sport. But at some mm-hmm. point, like the talent, not having two of your four best players will play mm-hmm. a factor. So I'm rolling Arizona here. Yeah, I'm going to Arizona too. I, I think they're just better. And Benedict Matherin is going to have a big game, but I, I want to see more from Kirk Creesa. They need more out of him. He's not going to, he can't go one for 10. But even if he does, like, I still think they could win this game because of how good Dale and Terry is. But Christian Coloco, Umar Ballo, maybe you got to play a lot of that lineup because they're going to try to out rebound you on every possession. So you need as much size as you can get. Yeah. I, I like that lineup combination. So. Give me Arizona there. Next game is the Peacocks of St. Perry's or St. Peter's. They're 12 and a half point underdogs here. Kind of disrespectful. I think it's disrespectful. I'm taking the Peacocks to cover the spread. Not win, but cover the spread. Oh, man. It's a lot of points. Uh, I'll take Purdue. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at some point, I think St. Peter's offense will go back to what it was for all of this year, and that's a not very good offense. I don't think they're going to be able to score 70-plus in every tournament game. Uh, I certainly don't think they're going to score 85 again. So I I think their defense is really good, of course, top 30 in Ken Palm defensive efficiency, but how will Casey Nadefo do against six, uh, seven foot four Zach Eady? I mean, there's a big size difference there. So I think Purdue is just a tough matchup for him. I'll take the Boilermakers, given the points. All right. Next game here, it is uh, fourth seed Providence against uh, top seed Kansas. Kansas is seven and a half point favorites in this one. I will take Kansas to win, but I think it it's probably like a little bit closer than that seven and a half point spread. So I'll take per, or Providence to cover the spread. I'll take Providence to win and cover. Uh, so I guess that kind of goes together. But Providence is good. I mean, this is a legitimately good basketball team. We saw that against Richmond. We saw that against South Dakota State. They're tough. They're deep. Jared Bynum and Al Durham are both very good. I think Nate Watson could have a good game against David McCormick. And then Justin Manaya defending Ochai Abaji. Like, he has been tasked with defending the toughest players on every team Providence's face this year. And you might not have a tougher player to defend than Ochai Abaji, but this is an Ochai Abaji that struggled coming into this game. So you're facing one of the best wing defenders in the country, and you're already struggling. So you have that in your mind. Well, you have to find a way to score against six foot seven, 210 Justin Manaya. That's not easy to do. So I'm going to take Providence to win. Yeah. I wonder if like Kansas tries to use Abaji as like a decoy. Like, you could, you could, but, you know, what I think about is, do you remember the game with Texas, Kansas, where Texas won and Courtney Ramey was face guarding Ochai the entire game? Yeah. I could see that kind of thing in this one, but they didn't have Remy Martin in that game. So they were able to win, but they didn't have, but having a guy like Remy Martin who can create off the dribble, that makes this a little different, I think. So yeah. I, I do agree with you on that point. Yeah. Like, I think if they kind of use Abaji as like a decoy, that almost, I think, Time could play into Kansas's favor a little bit. So yeah, but you got to have someone that hits shots. Like, is that Remy Martin? Is it Christian Brown? Yeah, gonna be a good game there. North Carolina against UCLA. 
UCLA two and a half point favorites here. I'm I'm done just trying to play the devil's advocate against UCLA. I don't know what it is, but this team's good in March. I'll take UCLA to win and cover. Man, uh, I'm going to take UNC. I, I like the way R.J. Davis is playing right now. I think they'll have some problems with Armando Baycott. I, they're, they've looked a little better defensively. I just think they're better. I'm taking, I'm taking UNC. All right. So got differing picks there. Last game here, 10 versus 11. It is Iowa State against Miami. Miami is a two, two and a half point favorite. I think eventually here, some team is going to start making shots against Iowa State. Uh, they played two rather kind of poor offensive teams. Miami is a good offensive team, so I think they're going to score just enough to end up winning this game. I'll I'll take Miami to win and cover here. I'm with you. I think Miami's offense, even though they're not good defensively, I just think they're too good offensively, and that's going to be a problem for them. Yeah. So give me Miami minus the two and a half, and that means it is time for our revised Final Four picks. Who do you have coming out of the West region? Still Gonzaga? Yeah, still Gonzaga. That's not going to change unless they lose. Yeah. Then it will change. As, I mean, I guess just pick the final four and I'll do mine. Okay, I'm going Gonzaga. I'm going Arizona still. Providence. And then Purdue. All right. I'm going Gonzaga up top, UCLA, uh, Villanova, and Kansas. And then my final four, I, I'm keeping my title pick, Gonzaga over Kansas in the title. Yeah, I'm going Gonzaga over Arizona still. That hasn't changed for me. Yeah. We both have our title picks alive, so may as well keep it going. Any last thoughts, though, before we wrap it up here? No, that'll do it. All right. That will wrap up for the Making the Madness College Basketball Podcast. We'll be back uh, after the Sweet 16, break it all down, and – Uh, discuss everything along that line. So stay tuned till that.